turn here, we find a very important command from the Lord Jesus. But some of us are so familiar with this text that it does not have the impact on us when we hear it the way it did with the original audience. So I want to do what I can here, maybe take a little more time than usual to set the context for these verses before I read them. And then I will pray for us and we'll dig in and look at these verses together. So to set the context, I want you to imagine that someone came back from the dead to tell you something. Seriously, try to imagine it. You know they were dead. It was a traumatic death. You saw their dead body. And now they stand before you and have something to tell you. How intensely would you pay attention to what they have to say? How seriously, how much weight would you give the words that they have to say to you? That's the context for these words we find in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew and his gospel, if we read the whole thing, we see how Jesus, this mysterious rabbi, found these 12 men and called them to leave their jobs and their homes and whatever it was they were doing to follow him. And they did. For three years, they were with Jesus. They saw him physically heal people who were sick. They saw him cast demons out of people. They saw him feed thousands of people with one kid's lunch. They saw him walk on water. They saw him calm storms with just a word spoken. They saw him raise people from the dead. They heard him teach. They heard him debate with very educated people that were way above them on the status ladder. They heard him hold his own, even confound those who would confront him. They saw him embrace sinners and tax collectors. They saw him welcome little children whom he blessed. They saw him arrested. They saw him die a death he did not deserve, an excruciating, painful, shameful death by capital punishment at the hands of the Romans. They actually saw his dead, lifeless body. They gathered it and put it in a tomb. They knew that he was dead. But now Jesus stands before them, risen from the dead. Do you think they listened intently to what he had to say? Do you think they took it seriously and gave it a lot of weight in their lives? Of course they did. And it is with those kinds of ears that we must listen to these words as I read Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18. Then Jesus said to the, he came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Let's pray together as we come to God's Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us 
ears to hear these words of Jesus the way you intend them to be heard, the way those men first heard them. I pray that you would help us to listen intently, to pay attention. I pray that you would help us to give great weight to these words in our life, that they would drive us, that they would haunt us, that they would compel us to do what you have called us to do. And Father, I pray that these words would have the same impact, even though we hear them this afternoon through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. There Jesus stands before these men, risen from the dead. They knew he had been dead, and they see him alive now, standing before them. And what's the first thing he says there in verse 18? Did you catch it? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Their reaction had to be, well, I guess so, right? They saw him heal people. He has physical power over illness, over people's bodies. They saw him cast out demons. He had spiritual authority over them. They saw him calm storms. That He had power over the, the environment, the universe, the elements. They saw him raise other people from the dead. And now, after they saw him dead, he stands before them. The Romans couldn't stop him. The Jewish authorities couldn't stop him. He stands before them alive. They killed him, and now he's back alive again. Nothing can stop this guy. And he says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me? Well, I guess so. He has power over everything. And in that moment, Jesus could command anything, anything at all. He has all authority in, in, in heaven and on earth. He could have said, I'm going to make all things new right now, beginning now. Now, we would have never been born, <laughs> so I'm glad that he waited. But he could have made all things new and swept back all the brokenness. He could have said, God's kingdom in all of its fullness is coming right now, and he had the power and the authority to make that happen. But that's not what he commanded. What is it that Jesus commands? What is it that he wants his disciples to do in that moment with all power and authority. He could have commanded anything, and Jesus gives one command. Make disciples. Jesus tells his followers that he wants them to make disciples. Now I want to spend just a moment thinking about what Jesus meant when he said that. What did Jesus mean when he said these words? And second, what did they hear him saying? Right? What is it that they would have heard? Let's think about those two things and make some application to our lives. First, what did Jesus mean when he said this? If you look at verse 18, there's only one command here. Grammatically, there's one thing he calls folks to do, and that's to make disciples. Now, if you have a background like mine, I grew up in the church, and, and, and I thought the command was the first word there, go, Right? I thought we were being told to go, and especially to all nations. And I really read this passage as something for missionaries that go overseas. I didn't really think it was for regular disciples of Jesus, regular followers of Jesus like me. 
And so maybe you've heard it used in that context before. And I used to save money and give it to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering or the Annie Armstrong Easter. Some of you are nodding your head. You're with me. You've done that before too. And that's great. And I think that's important. And the gospel is to go to the nations. But you need to understand there's only one command here. And that's to make disciples. When he refers to the nations, this group of Jewish men... What they hear him say is it's to go to make disciples of all ethne, all ethnic groups, all types of people. They didn't think political entities as much as we would. They would think, okay, Jewish people and non-Jewish people should be followers of Jesus. That's what they would hear him say. And so Jesus says, therefore, and he gives one command, make disciples. And then there are three participles that tell how to make those disciples. There's go, baptizing, and teaching. So let's look at those three things. That tells us how we're supposed to make disciples. So there's one command, make disciples. And Jesus starts here by saying, therefore. Now you may know this principle of interpretation, that whenever you read the word therefore, you need to look to see what becomes before it to see what it is therefore. Very good. So you're following me. So the therefore, what comes before that? All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, right? When he's telling them to make disciples by going and by baptizing and by teaching, we do it in the authority that Jesus has. We've already seen he has power over all things. So he says, therefore, in his authority, and later we'll see with his presence with us, we're to make disciples. How do we do that? Well, by going. That first thing that he says, by going, maybe by going would be the better translation, or as we go, make disciples of all kinds of people. It's not necessarily something overseas, but wherever you find yourself, really what Jesus is saying is be intentional wherever you are, wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you play, wherever it is that God puts you, be intentional about making disciples. That should be a priority. The risen Christ with all authority, that's the one command that he gives. So let me ask you, are you intentional about making disciples? If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, he calls us to be intentional about making disciples wherever it is that we are. I love Jeremy's prayer earlier. He prayed about making disciples in our homes. I think that's really important. It's important for a couple of reasons. First, the statistics tell us that we're not making disciples of our children, that when they leave our homes, that they're not coming back to church after that. So it's important that we make disciples of the next generation. But secondly, it's important because as we reach out to other people, as we try to make disciples where we work and where we play we have very little credibility if the gospel does not affect our own home when we reach out with it to other people not that it always works not that every person born in a christian home is going to be a christian but there should be something about our confession of sin that are continually acknowledging that we are sinners, continually repenting and turning back to Christ, that they see the beauty of that, and the Lord would use that to break the hearts of our children, to draw them to himself. We tend to be very good and intentional when they're little. We read them Bible stories before they go to bed at night, but as they get older, 
There are lots of things that are going on in our lives, and we get busy, and we have to be intentional about making disciples of our children, memorizing Scripture. We have to be intentional about learning the catechism and the truths of the faith. We have to be intentional about being faithful to come to church where they learn and where we make disciples. I had somebody after the first service say, okay, you talked about children. What about single people? Well, if you live with other people, the fact that you were a believer in the gospel should make a difference in you as a roommate. We should be quicker to apologize, quicker to repent. And somebody say, what if I only have pets? I know people, it's crazy what you hear at the back door, right? Well, I was, I'm ready now, right? Proverbs 12 and verse 10 says that the righteous even changes the way they treat their animals. That that should make a difference in our lives where we live and work and play. Are you intentional about making disciples wherever God has put you? That's the first way that we make disciples. That's the first thing Jesus means that by going or as you go, wherever he's put you, we're to make disciples in that place. The second thing he says, how do we do it? By going. Second, by baptizing. You see that there in verse 18, right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, you may think, well, I'm not going to baptize anybody. And that's fine. Just bring them here to church. I'll baptize them, okay? I'm glad to do that. But when Jesus refers to making disciples by baptizing, you have to understand that baptism is just an outward sign to show that we belong to Christ Jesus. That's what it is. It's how we associate with Christ and his church. I think of Romans chapter 6 where we're told we're baptized into Christ. We're baptized into his death. So our baptism associates us with Christ Jesus, but also with his church. I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where we're told that we're all filled with one spirit, one baptism, that we're baptized into a body, which is identified there in 1 Corinthians 12, not as the body of Christ, the church, that we're baptized into a group of people. And so baptism is how we associate with Christ and his church. It is a way we declare our allegiance. That by being baptized, we're saying my life, my identity, my priorities are centered on Jesus and his kingdom. And you have to understand that's not just a one-time thing that we do when we are obedient in baptism and following after Christ, but it's something that we do with all of our lives. That we continually, after that point, associate with Christ and his church. We continue to declare our allegiance. We continue by everything that we do and say to save my life, my identity, my priorities are centered on Jesus and his kingdom. So let me ask you, have you been baptized? Have you associated with Christ in that way? If you have not, I would love to talk with you about that. Email me. If we've got my email address, put it up there for folks. Email. I would love to talk with you about being baptized, about how that happens here in this place. And if you have been baptized already, let me ask you, do you continue to associate with Christ in his church? Do you continue to declare your allegiance to Jesus? Do you, with your priorities, with your identity, with everything that you are, do you show that you are centered on Jesus and his kingdom? That's what that is encompassed in what Jesus is talking about. Not just a one-time thing, but continually associating with him.
And do you invite other people to do that? That's what he's saying here, right? Not only should you associate with Christ, but you should invite other people to. Are you talking about Jesus? Psalm 105, our call to worship, are you telling of his wonderful works that he's accomplished? Do you give testimony to his faithfulness and goodness in all these places where you live, work, and play as you were very intentional about making disciples? So we do that by going. We make disciples by baptizing. And then Jesus says something very interesting in verse 20. The other participle is by teaching. By teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. It's interesting. We tend to think that this exercise of making disciples is just a cognitive intellectual thing. We love to learn more stuff. But that's not what Jesus says. He says by teaching people to obey everything that I've committed. It's an intellectual knowledge that leads to obedience, that leads to walking in his ways. In Luke 6, in verse 40, Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. And so the end of discipleship, the end of making disciples, is that people would look like Jesus more and more in our everyday lives. So think about what Jesus has said so far. As we go in our daily traffic patterns, wherever it is that we find ourselves, we associate with Jesus. We declare our allegiance to him with everything that we have and all that we are. And we're learners. We're always learning about his teaching but not just learners, that we're, we move to obedience, that this learning actually makes a difference in our everyday lives. And so we're called, we're invited, we associate with him, we learn more about him, we begin to obey, and it begins to transform our lives. And this shows that making disciples is a process. It's a continuum that happens in the lives of men and women and boys and girls. That's what Jesus is saying when he gives this command. One command, make disciples by going, by baptizing, by teaching. Now, what did these guys hear? I think they did hear him, right? We sort of established from the context that they would be listening intently. They're not checking their phones during this time, right? They're listening to what Jesus has said. He's raised from the dead. So they're listening intently. But when they hear him say, by going, by baptizing, by teaching, make disciples, not only are they listening to what he said, but they have an idea of what he's saying because not only are they listening to what he says, but they've actually lived this, right? If you go back and read Matthew's gospel up to this point, this process this continuum of being called of of moving to a point of decision this associating with jesus this learning his teaching this beginning to obey and to put it into practice this idea of calling others to do the same calling other people to associate teaching other people leading them to obedience in christ they've lived this here jesus is simply commanding them to continue to do with other people what Jesus has already done with them. So they're listening, 
And they understand exactly what he's talking about because they've just been through this process with Jesus. Oh, so what he's done with us, we're supposed to do with other people. Now, it's interesting, we made this point, that Jesus began with his authority, that he could ask anything he wants, and that as we go, we are his agents working in his power, baptized in his name. But it's interesting, when you get to verse 20, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, and then he says, surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. So he starts with his authority, but he ends with his presence with us as we complete this task. Why does he start with his authority and his power and end with his presence with us? It's because making disciples is work that Jesus himself is doing through his people, the church. Jesus finishes what he started, first with these men, then in other people through the church, the literal hands and feet of Christ as we live and move and have our being. So in this way, making disciples is the mission of Jesus, but it's also the mission that he gives to his people, the church, and he accomplishes it through us. Well, that's the mission of the church. That's what we're supposed to be about. That's what we're supposed to be doing. How are we doing with that? Are we making disciples here? Are you making disciples individually? Do you feel called that? Do you feel like that's part of your life? Is it something you're very intentional about? One of the things I love about this church, one of the things that drew me here is this church has a history of always making discipleship a priority. It's always been a priority for us. But I'm very excited that here, really in the last year or so, our session has been very intentional, intentional about discipleship not just being a priority for us, but making disciples is becoming the priority for us. And a year ago, even before quarantine, we began to talk about this and how can we make disciples more intentionally? How can we better use the resources that God has given us in this place? And then when quarantine came, it gave us an opportunity to shut down all of our programs, to reevaluate what we were doing so that when we started back, we could be more efficient and more intentional about making disciples than ever before. And in that process, we read some books together. One of the books we read, The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. He goes through this process, this continuum that we've just talked about, that Jesus discusses. We read that together as a session and talked about it. And then there was a, kind of a subgroup of the session that had been working on this that, that read another book called The Lost Art of Disciple Making. Excellent book. And in chapter 5 entitled The Process of Making Disciples, there's an illustration that has haunted me. And I wanted to share it with you in hopes that it may haunt you as well. Listen to what he says. He starts this chapter. Visualize a large manufacturing plant in your town or city that produces shoes. The management has invested great sums of money and many man hours into the plant to produce the finest shoes possible. Money has been spent on salaries for the employees, machinery for shoemaking, and materials for which the shoes are to be made. The plant is now in operation with hundreds of workers scurrying to and fro. Machines are running full blast and activity is at a maximum. One day the president asked the production manager, How many shoes have we produced so far? 
The manager answers, none. None, the president exclaims. How long have we been in operation? Two years. Two years and still no shoes? That's right, the manager says, no shoes, but we are really busy. In fact, we've been so busy that we are all nearly tired out. We've all been very active. He goes on to say, what would the management do in a case like this? Have collective coronaries, which I would imagine they would, become angry, concerned, fire someone, try to find out what the problem was? They would probably do all of these things because the reason for this factory's existence is to produce shoes. I'm sure you see how this has haunted me. I am the production manager, sort of, so to speak, in this place, in an institution that is put together to make disciples. The Lord has blessed us with people, with resources, with influence in this community. Are we intentionally using these things to make disciples? What has haunted me is thinking about the resurrected Christ's last command that he gives to his church here. And to think about on the last day, my standing before him and him saying, I gave you one job to do, right? You had one thing to do. You haven't made disciples. I know I haven't been as intentional as I should be. I want to be better. I want to be more efficient. I want to be more laser focused on this. We want to be as a church leadership. And I'm calling you to be more focused on it as well. In this process, in the last year, we've developed a discipleship continuum. We've tried to label this process. What is this going to look like here at Redeemer Church? If there's a process, if there's a continuum to make disciples, what is that going to look like here? How do we lead people to look more like Jesus or maturity in Christ? And we've defined each of these things, a profile of a non-Christian, a young Christian, a growing Christian, a mature Christian. And then we've taken all of our programs, and if we're doing it, it has to connect to this in some way. For instance, we used to have a new members class. We don't do that anymore because nobody came to the new members class until they were ready to be a new member of the church, right? And I want to be more proactive. I want to get to people sooner. So even non-Christians, we've got Redeemer 101, which is exactly what it sounds like, basic information about Redeemer Church where I present many of the things that I'm talking to you about here. You can watch it online. The first one has already been recorded where we're proactive, we reach out to people and welcome them, call them into this mission that Jesus has given. Then, after people become members of our church as young Christians, we've got a group of classes called Walking Your Path. It's a six-week study where people learn to pray every day. They learn to read the Bible, some simple ways to read it and have understanding, where folks learn why it's important to attend on Sunday, to learn about taking time to be in some sort of a small group that encourages spiritual growth, where we learn to have a personal ministry and opportunities for that in this place and, and how to biblically handle conflict. And so then as people move in this continuum, they keep going. We want to have community groups that start back tonight. Community groups are a great way. The men's and women's Bible studies that start back this week. Those things are here. We're doing them. Why? We want people to have Christian fellowship. We want them to be connected to one another. We want people to learn to pray and to pray with and for one another, to better digest the truths we hear in the sermon. But most of all, those groups are to help people embrace the idea of growing in their faith, 
by being around other people who are growing in their faith and face the same types of issues that you face. As you continue going along this continuum, growing Christian to a mature Christian, one of the best ways to grow is to have somebody directly work with you. Maybe you've had life coaching before, somebody to help you with your finances, somebody to help you with a, an athletic endeavor, maybe a personal trainer. What if you could have that spiritually, a mentoring relationship, a spiritual coach? We have D groups that are starting now where that's exactly what's going on, a mentoring relationship that's a smaller group, more intense, more, and there are more things that we want to build on this continuum. But I just want you to know we are trying to be, as a leadership, very intentional about building a process to make disciples. And I want to call you to be very intentional about that as well. I would ask you to pray about what would next steps be for you? Where do you fit on that continuum? What would be a next step for you to help you, to equip you to be more intentional in walking with Jesus on your own and calling other people to walk with him. We want to help you do that in this place. What would next steps be for you to grow as a disciple of Jesus? Some of our elders, if you're a member of the church, they're going to be talking to you about that, asking you about that, helping you think about where you would fit on this continuum. I want to close with just three ideas. Three ideas. I wasn't sure where to put them, so I'm just going to put them here at the end. This is kind of what I've heard people say as we've talked about this and as we've uh, begin to walk down this road. The first thing that I want to be clear about is this, that this idea of making disciples is not just another program that we have at our church. For some of us, we are so used to the church just having another program, a different program, a new program to get us excited, that you may hear me saying this is a new program for our church, and you can sign up for it and participate for a few months, and then sometime after that you can check making disciples off the list, and we've accomplished the Great Commission. And I want to be clear, that is not what I am saying. Making disciples is not just a program. Making disciples is the mission of our church. Making disciples defines us. We do have a lot of programs that I pray will help us to be more intentional about making disciples, more intentional about helping you grow and equipping you to make disciples. But I want to be clear. All of our programs should support making disciples, and each member should play a part in seeing that we make disciples in this place. So be praying about what your part would be. This is not just another program. Second thing I've heard people say, second thought I've got, is sort of a been there, done that uh, reaction. Maybe you've been in a D group before. Maybe you've been in a C group before. Maybe you've been to some of our men's and women's Bible studies, and you kind of think, well, yeah, I've kind of done all that. You know, I've kind of been there, done that. And so I want to emphasize that we never get finished making disciples. I don't know what stage of life you are in, but it's sort of, I'm learning, it's sort of like raising children, right? The day comes when they're ready to be on their own, but the relationship with them does not end. It continues, and so it is with making disciples. That maybe folks get to the point that they're ready to be on their own to make disciples themselves and to lead people. 
but we continue to offer guidance to them. There'll be times that we can offer encouragement to them. And God brings new people into our lives and into theirs, giving us fresh opportunities to start the process of discipleship over and over and over again with new folks. This never stops. This is what disciples do. This is what we're called to do, and this is what we will continue to do until Jesus comes back. This is what life in our church looks like. It's what the Christian life looks like. When Jesus called these men, he said, Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And this is the process he was talking about. Last thought. I hear a lot of people who are concerned about the world we live in, and rightfully so. It is a broken place that we long to see improve. But I would say this about that. If you want to make the world a better place, if that's what you long to see, I want you to know that making disciples is God's plan for making the world a better place. Until Jesus returns and make things all right, this is how the world gets better. It's as we make disciples, and they are salt and light in a world of darkness. That's how the world gets better. And I must tell you that we go and we do this with the authority of Christ and with the presence of Christ with us. And I want to assure you that empirically, historically, this plan to make the world a better place, it works. Think about these 11 men that he gave this command to. Remember there were 12 to begin with. He's already lost one and Jesus did this perfectly, right? And there are 11 men there before him when he gives this command. They're not the brightest. They're not the most educated. They don't have worldly means. Yet they listened and they took seriously what Jesus commanded. And they went from this place and they made disciples. And it literally changed the world. In just a few generations, this very pagan Roman empire became a Christian empire. And now some two millennia later, from those 11 men that Jesus poured into, there are 3 billion people who call themselves followers of Jesus. This is God's plan to make the world a better place until Jesus returns. I invite you to join us as we do that. Let's pray and ask God to use us in this way. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us just like you spoke to those men after your resurrection from the dead. I pray that you would help us to listen intently, to take seriously your command to make disciples. Wherever we go, I pray that you would help us to be intentional, that as we go in our daily traffic patterns, we would call people to associate with you. We would associate with you ourselves. We would be lifelong learners. We would call other people to learn. That we would seek to obey you and walk in your ways and to call others to do so such that this world would become a better place. Please come and do that. We ask that for our homes, for the shoals, for our country, for the world. Please come and do this. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.